Good morning, New York. Stay tuned. Get your tissue boxes because this is a show with a universal theme that will affect everyone listening. I hope you enjoy AM Power Talk here live on WABC Radio. You've tuned into AM Power Talk Radio with Professor Vincent Presti, author, spiritual scholar, and Peabody-nominated radio journalist. Listen to an innovative and entertaining 30-minute live call-in show, offering new insights to wake up the joy in your personal and professional life. Get motivated. Get help. Get going on AM Power Talk Radio. Wake up new ways to dream. And now your host, Professor Vincent Presti. Dreams broken in two can be made like new on the street of dreams. Good morning, New York. This is Professor Presti coming to you live from WABC Studios here atop Madison Square Garden. And we have a very important topic today as we prepare for the passing of an elderly, elderly member of a family. What is that experience like and how do we go about preparing for that mentally and physically and spiritually as well? Because there is nothing as challenging as the passing of a loved one. So this show is really all about how to go about that, how to prepare for that. And as we think about what it is when we have an older member, whether it's our parents, whether it's our grandparents, how do we really prepare for what's going on? Because it's a double loss. It's not only the physical loss of the person who is about to prepare to transition to the next phase of life, but it's also the loss of time and memory. As we reposition ourselves in our own narrative without that person present, what does that mean for us? So this is a phenomenal show. I have an interview with a family member, and I want you to think about these questions, which has really come to light in the past week based on an article out of the BBC from Katie Hopkins. Katie Hopkins is a BBC personality who was quoted in the press for saying that old people are a drain on society and they should be put to death by euthanasia. That's right. You can see the article on ampowertalk.com. Go to the article and read it. Her solution was to create euthanasia vans to come and euthanize older people. What a mistake because we could learn so much from them. Not only learn from them, they are still relevant not only if they're alive or dead or whatever age they are in life, but what they mean to our own narrative. There is not one person in our family that has not had an impact on us. And I want you to hear this interview today. And as we go through this interview with my family member, how you might be able to prepare for what's going on in your own life. If you have something you would like to share here at the studio, you can give us a call. The number is 1-800-848-WABC, 1-800-848-WABC. I will probably talk to you off air because this is going to be a very tight show for time. However, you're welcome to call and there will be a trivia question in the show. And at the end of the show, we have a very big announcement. So I hope you stay tuned and enjoy the show. So as we prepare, think about that family member, what he or she means in your life and 
how they give you the strength or the ruah to go on. Because everybody lives to the very end. Everybody wants life to the very end. Nobody wants to waste a moment of every breath. And where does that fire come from? So think about that as you look at the elders in your family. Because after their passing, many things may change in your life. And you may have a very different life than you are not aware of. As you're just coping with the grief alone. As you sit today at 81, 81, do you think that restlessness is part of where you are today? I think every human being has got restlessness in them. If you don't have restlessness in you, you got nothing. That means you don't even know you're alive yourself. You've got to have restlessness in you. You've got to have madness in you. You've got to have niceness in you. You've got to have a lot of things in you. And if you've got all them things put together, it's a little bit of everything, you're a person. And if you don't, you're nobody. So even later in life, we still can learn from our elders. They still give us lessons. And on top of the lessons they give us, no matter what age they are, they still have relevance, as you were about to hear in the next interview segment. You would think this interview happened within the last week, and of course that's not the case. But when someone loves you in your family, they make an indelible impact. And it's not all good, and it's not all bad. But that's the process of grief that we must all go through in some way. Take a listen to this next segment. Do you want to run for president like Donald Trump? Never. I don't want to be no president. That's for people who got nothing in life, hoping to get up the ladder to be popular. A, B, I feel sorry for every pre- any president and every president America or any other country ever had. That's a big burden and a big thing on your shoulder. If that's the only way to make a living is to go into politics, that's, uh, then I'll, I'll be a tin man in New York, pretend I'm blind, and keep my cup out there for a dime. That statement is as relevant today as it was when it was recorded over two years ago. Is that amazing? That's my uncle speaking about Donald Trump running for president. Unbelievable. But as you approach this topic of what is grief and what is letting go at his age, there are many cultural factors to help put the conversation into perspective so you can honor your loved ones and understand what their perspective is on their own passing and on their relevance in life and on your life. After you're gone, there's no denying. After you're gone, there's no one's bottom. Dun, dun, da, 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 da. Go ahead, play. I love Judy Garland. After you've gone. 
Taking a song like this, for example, allows a conversation to open up between family members. There has to be some piece of music or some piece of culture that brought you all on a table or reminds you of not only your loved ones of happy memories, but allows you to enter a profound conversation of what that person's perspective is of not only what life will be like at their passing or how they feel about their own personal death, but how to open them really up and use humor and use culture and use the tools we have so that when that inevitable moment comes, we have a history, a true history, that allows us to stay connected to them, both in our own narrative and beyond. So how do you feel about the next phase of your life? The next what? Phase of your life. Phase of my life. You mean to be reborn again? No, where, wherever you're doing. Oh, what, what life, your death, like do you think that death is coming? Oh. Like how do, you, how do you look at life at this stage? I don't look at that death is coming. I figure I'm probably going to die around 90 years old, number one. Number two, I really feel like getting back into the racehorses. That's where the money is. You can make a million, a million, two million in, in a matter of weeks if you know what you're doing. And I certainly know what I'm doing. You know that. Everybody else that knows me knows that. And uh, you watch your horse run. I wanna be around. This is a theme very common in Arthur Miller's play, Death of a Salesman. In terms of the significance of our professional commitments and what does that really mean to give us the strength to go on. And here you hear my uncle at this very late age in life, he is 81 here, discussing his passion to still be in the game. And he was a horseman all his life that I knew him. We had a Triple Crown winner this year the year after he passed away. And here, you can hear, he still holds on to the dream of being on top of his game and being successful. And that teaches us that we need a profession that gives us the strength to always go on. So, as you are at this age, most of your relatives are dead now, right? Practically all of them. How do you feel being a Lone Ranger? I don't like it. Do you look in memory or do you look to the future? Is there any future hope that gives you will to go on? It's not the future that helps me get, uh, go on. It's what I had a wonderful life, and I think of that wonderful life every day. And I think of the people who are passed away from it, i.e., my wife, my mother, my father, my son and so forth, my Uncle Nick, and all of the people. And that's what keeps me alive. And then I watch TV in between, and before you know, it's time to go to bed. Sometimes I can go to bed at 3 o'clock, sometimes I go to bed 3.30 in the afternoon. Rather than sit up like a jerk, I lay down nice on my bed, and I watch the TV. What'll I do? It's so important to speak to the elderly, to have relationships with them. And there were some issues between my uncle and myself that changed over our lifetime that made the later stages of his life and my life a little distant, which we may or may not talk about in the show. But I remember with my grandfather, 
that I was there to the very end with him, and we were able to share stories and remember things in the past. And I cannot exp- stress to everyone listening to this program enough: if there's somebody you love in your life, there's somebody ailing in your life, go out there and make those memories, relive those memories with that person, because it helps strengthens them and puts them into proper time and perspective, and makes them relevant. As you can hear, glimmers of my uncle's relevance through this interview. And what do you think will be your greatest legacy, as you were remembered by other people? Do you think your daughter, your grandchildren, anybody will remember you? What will they remember about you in the next generation? I don't think any of them would say anything because they're not my kind of people. What would you like the legacy to be remembered? Yeah, I was a great horseman. So you want your accomplishments in the professional world? I never bought a horse that didn't win a stake. And what is your impact in terms of the family imprint? What do you think you did to your family that made them either extraordinary or moved them into a different, you know, gave them a place in history? Well, my my wife wasn't that, that kind of a girl. Like there are some girls that are very upfront and they like to. Making out there. Do you understand the question? But do you understand the question? Like, great grandfather, he made President Taft, who was a very big political advocate here in the state of New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yeah. So he made President Taft. There were ambassadors that slept in their house. Do you remember that? How grandma was so savvy about certain things. Remember yeah, that? She was very particular. Okay, very well, streetwise, wouldn't you say? Yeah, she came from a, a beautiful family. Uh, family. Okay, so we like, so like her great grandfather was a big player in the state of New Jersey, right? What is your contribution moving that generation forward? What do you think you've accomplished? To I think forward? I accomplished a lot of things, and I think that I accomplished more than the normal person does. That. The things that I did accomplish got lost in the shuffle of the other things. But my thing has always been and always will be horses, race horses, not riding horses. And I like to buy them as weanlings, yearlings, and two-year-olds. And I would sell them. I would break them and then sell them. See, even in the end of life, it's important to remember what inspired people. And there you can tell, as you make your own decisions, this is why the show is so relevant, not only for those people struggling with family in, in the late ages, but how to position your own life to make sure that when it's your time, you'll have the strength to go on and you'll draw on your own professional success to have the strength to fight towards those final moments of life here on this side of Earth. So as we fade out, if you had to compare your life to a bottle of wine, what bottle of wine would it be and why? What tush. What year? Any. If it's Latash and it's in a bottle, you don't care what year it is. If it's one year old, ten year old, a hundred year old. It's like medicine. If you just sip it, you think you're Superman. And if you drink the whole glass, you know that you could beat Batman. So has, and if you progress to the next level, 
after this. What do you think the other side is going to be like? If you had to look forward to meeting anybody on the other side. What other side? You mean dying? Oh, yeah. What do you want that experience to look like? Well, number one, I would want to be with my mother and my wife and my father. My grandmother, God bless her soul, she was the best of all of them. And that, that, that would be it. And do you want to be perpetually with them, or do you see an evolution to a next step? No, when they were alive, they weren't the, the relatives that I got now. But do you want to go back in time, or do you want to see them in a different way? Do you want to see things move ahead on the other side? Like, what do you think the other side is going to look like? I don't believe there is another side, to be honest with you. So when you're dead, you're dead. Yeah. Just decomposition, that's it. That's it. You become bones. So what about your life then and and those experiences that prevent you from becoming bones that make life so exciting, that made your life so exciting? Say that again, please. So what made your life so exciting so that if you did become bones, your bones wouldn't have any regrets? Well, number one, I lived a very fast life. I did everything that was... Uh, that the real people did, uh, people that enjoyed themselves, spent millions and millions of dollars and still didn't enjoy themselves, couldn't ever buy a racehorse. They, they only bought horses for millions of dollars and they never even got started as a baby, okay? So I said to myself, well, I know all about horses. I know about this and that and that and this and this and that. I'll go up to Saratoga and I'll buy some babies. And I did, and that's how I got started. I bought babies that brought in $28 million when they were finished and sold. They didn't cost me no more than maybe a million of teaching them, breaking them in, and, and the price of buying them. But I had a weakness. I was a gambler, and I used to gamble at the racetracks and bet millions and millions of dollars and lose and lose and lose. Why do you think you gambled? What were you gambling for? I wish I knew. But what would you say motivated you to gamble millions of dollars? I used to gamble. When I used to go to the window to bet, there used to be a line all the way down because everybody would bet what I bet. I used to have a lot of winners and I did a lot of gambling. Not only at the track, then I would go and bet sports and bet this and bet that. So what did you want to win though? I just want, I wanted to gamble. That's like a fighter. What do you want to win? Hey, I want to win because I want to win, right? I want to get the other guy the beaten. I don't want to get the beaten. So you just wanted to win. So what did you want to win, though? Like, as you think about gaming in your life, do you think your life and death, the difference between life and death? I just is... never wanted to be broke. So you wanted to win money? I always had brand new cars. Every week I'd get a brand new car. And what were you looking for in the cars? I just love new cars. And as fast as I made it, that's the way I gambled it. Not on horses, but by Donald Trump, the curse of America. It's important to understand that as we put our family members into our historical narrative and into our family's historical narrative, to look at both their strengths and weaknesses to ensure that things are not repeated in generations ahead. And part of my uncle's love of life 
included a gambling problem, but it also gave him a perspective and found tremendous enjoyment in that. So as I'm talking to people out there in my chaplaincy experience dealing with addiction, his own personal experience was very valuable to me in my own vocational calling in helping people. But like his gambling addiction and like his ability to take risk, as I think most of the very successful people in our world today, if you look at all the multi-billionaires, one of the things that unites success to mediocrity is the ability to take risk. He took unnecessary risks with his health in particular in terms of, as you can see here, there were moments in the interview when there were certain fade-outs and we encouraged my uncle desperately to seek medical help earlier on prior to his final condition taking him out, which happened in April of 2014, and he passed away. It will be a full year this November 12th, I believe, will be the year, first year of his passing. But like in life, he gambled with his health. He didn't think he needed to see doctors or take care of himself. And this seems to be a systemic problem in, amongst some of my other family members who are suffering from conditions and refused to go seek medical attention. But it's important for you to remember these stories as you're dealing with, the, with your own family members who may be suffering with illnesses and sicknesses and transitionings not only to sickness but to transition between different seasons in their life. And what does that mean to you, especially when you'll be called upon in that moment when you have to enter the hospital room and you have to give them strength to go on or to have the faith to go on. As you can hear from this conversation, my uncle was a sort of spiritual person. He was raised Catholic, believed in his Catholic faith, but didn't really have the ruach or, or the... His belief was in the self, as you can tell, and that, and that was a tremendous gift and a curse and a blessing in many, many ways. But what I'd like to share with you has a trivia question, uh, and I think this is very important for all of you out there who may ever have to deal with this, and I pray that you may never have to deal with anything like this, but this is an inevitable part of life. There is a rabbinic saying, and if you could identify the rabbi who said this statement, I will send you a dollar personally, a dollar for luck that you could either keep or give away to somebody who needs luck, I will send you a dollar. If you can identify the rabbi who said this statement, that if you bring joy, that if a Jew prays enough with joy in the presence of a sick person or even a dead person, that the Jew or the person who's praying could resurrect the dead. And that's how important it is, because we will all be called, whether we get that call in our presence, whether we are prepared for it or not, when a person is going to be transitioning out of life, we may be with them at their bedside towards the very end. And you must always be able to conjure that presence of joy to give that person comfort. No matter what's going on in your own life, no matter what mishigas may be in your personal history between the two of you, at that moment, your value to that person is the ability to bring that person joy. And I pray that if you are going through this right now in your own life in some capacity, you have that ability to bring joy to that person and oversee their faults and oversee, forgive them, let it go, because at the end of the day, when they're gone, you're the only one who's going to suffer. They're free now. They're on the other side, whatever that means in your own faith tradition. But you don't want to be left with anything within you that prevents you from remembering the good. 
And there was lots of mishigas surrounding my uncle's passing. The story, what happened at the funeral, is so extraordinary. My Hollywood friends, and these are Academy Award-winning producers, writers, they tell me that I'm the most intriguing person they know in all of Hollywood. and They know everyone in Hollywood. They were nominated for two Academy Awards this year. When I told them the story of what happened at the funeral, they looked at me at horror, and they said to me, Vincent, if we were to put that into a movie, the audience wouldn't believe the scene that you just described. And even with that, we still must overcome those things that keep us from celebrating life. And I'd like to take my uncle out in this final portion of the interview with how he celebrates his life in terms of what his own memory wanted to be. I was born in 1933. You're 81 years old. Yeah, it's how old I am. So, how do you feel about life and death? Life is nothing great, no matter how much money you got, no matter who you know, no matter what you can do, even if you're a killer or this or that, life is life in everybody's way, so that they all have the same thing about life but in different ways. Death is a different story completely. Are you afraid to die? Nah, not really. I just don't want to die because I never want to die when I had my mother. I never want to die when I had Joan. I never want to die that I had Maggie. You know, I die, I die. I got to die sometime. So what do you think death looks like? I don't think it looks like anything. I think death is God's way of saying you sacrificed and suffered enough by being alive in, uh, in this country. And now I'm going to give you a rest. Yep, that's the story. And so it's very important to remember that when we let go of a loved one, that we can remember they have no regrets. And at the end of the day, that they had the freedom to live their life on their terms. No matter what damage they may have left behind in the wake of their life, or whatever good or bad that has been imprinted on the family history, it's important that they celebrate their own strength and this goes to each and every one of you listening to this program today as you make decisions to live your life to your fullest strength because we will all face this inevitability. And I pray that some of us, I mean all of us, should have somebody in our family or in our lives who take the time to sit down with us and talk with us the way I spoke with my uncle on this interview. I know this is an old school, perhaps Italian tradition, but it's something that needs to be done, especially in today's world when we have people like Katie Hopkins telling us that the elderly should be put to death because they're a drain on societal resources. And as you can hear from this interview, there is such richness in connecting to the family and leaving that legacy for everybody. So I hope you enjoyed this interview with my uncle and this very intimate portion of the show. But I do have a very big announcement to make right now. Yes, this is Professor Presti on AM Power Talk Radio from WABC atop Madison Square Garden. So make sure you go to AM Power Talk 
WABC.com because today is my final show here on WABC as we are preparing to move the show both to a new format and perhaps to a new venue in the New York metro area or out in Los Angeles. And I'm currently in talks with some people who my Hollywood connections believe that they would rather see me on television dealing with these topics in front of a live audience with a more visual dynamic than what's coming across on air right now. So no matter what happens for the future of AM Power Talk Radio, I'd like you to keep in touch with the show. Go to ampowertalk.com. If you enjoyed what you've heard here for these couple of weeks and you'd like to continue the journey with me, I strongly encourage you to keep in touch. The email is info at ampowertalk.com. Professor Presti here has been really, it's been an incredible experience in so many ways. I'd like to thank Bruce Arbordap, who has helped produce some amazing shows off the cuff. What you've heard to come together so quickly every week has been really a no small feat in engineering. Coming to you live, some of the callers we've had on air, off-air emails. I really appreciate your support. I appreciate the support of friends and family who have been giving me feedback. And no matter what the future holds, wherever it is, I'm sure it will always happen for the best. I, I thank the people here at WABC, too, because I think that this kind of a show and the message of empowerment to overcome the limitations of what's bringing us down in terms of all the things competing for our attention. Are we really in a position to enjoy our life to the fullest? And that is what we're trying to do. And that is what my message is all about in terms of using education and the cutting edge scholarship to help all our lives to be enjoyed to the fullest. So as we fade out today here on WABC in Nouveau Fat Law Studios on Tap Madison Square Garden, 770 AM has been a true blessing for these couple of weeks. And I assure you, you will not forget the name Vincent Presti, whether it be Professor Vincent Presti, Vincent Presti, and you will see amazing things happen in the future. Something else to think about, my book, In a Messiah, Divine Character, written under my Hebrew name, Benjamin Yosef. Use the promo code GoBen40 at Whiffenstock.com because Amazon is reselling the book as it's preparing for a reprinting for over $100 right now. You can go to Amazon.com and see my book, In a Messiah, Divine Character, really going up in price. So grab your chance, get your 40% off, GoBen40 at Whiffenstock.com. Get the book. Thank you for listening and hope wherever we meet again, it will be in a very good place where we will find tremendous enjoyment and empowerment in our dialogue. Visit ampowertalk.com and send us an email at info at ampowertalk.com. This is Professor Vincent Presti signing off for the last time now here on WABC Radio.